0: If I have one leg, I'm gonna hop, I'm, and I'm a hop to my You did for place. a half in a Super Bowl. <laughs> exactly.
1: What's up, everybody? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. Glad you're with us. Our guest this week is the pride of Bloomfield, Connecticut, who learned his patented football move while trying to avoid being called for traveling while playing high school basketball. I'm talking about, of course, Dwight Freeney graduated from Bloomfield High, went to Syracuse University and was the first real undersized impact edge rusher drafted in the first round of the NFL. We sat down with Dwight to talk about how he got to Syracuse and what he made of his opportunity once he was taken in the first round by the Indianapolis Colts and whether or not he was the trendsetter for all those edge rushers we see today. Sit back, relax and enjoy the conversation with Dwight Freeman. So I bumped into you recently in Indianapolis, and we sort of had this conversation. And I I think it's accurate. Would you consider yourself sort of a trailblazer for the hybrid rush ends we see now playing on a regular basis and being drafted high on a regular basis in the NFL?
0: Um, To be honest, I think I I might be, man. Um, It's before me, guys like me weren't really drafted high. Okay, we would be these tweener,
1: yep, third down,
0: third down specialist, um, come down in third down and make you know make a play, Um, but to be drafted in the first round, um, you know, in the top fifteen picks, that wasn't you know, so I wasn't expecting to be drafted where I got drafted, and you know, thank God I had a good career. And, and showed, you know, the NFL, look, it's not about how tall you are or how big you are, you know, it's about you making plays. And that's yeah. what you see now. And now you see guys even like De- Aaron Donald, who's six one, and yeah. and just making plays left and right, even though it's a tackle position. And you see other guys that make plays that, you know, quote-unquote, maybe in the 80s or the early 90s wouldn't even be drafted or drafted as high as they did.
1: So I think what we're saying is you're the defensive Russell Wilson, right? That that's what we're saying, right? Because the knock on him was he's five eleven. That's why he went in the third round of twenty twelve and he went on to have that career. So you're the defensive Russell Wilson.
0: Ah, I mean, you know, hate to you know, I love Russell to death. I hate to attach a quarterback to my name. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay that's fair but, that's fair
0: but but I, I see what you're saying maybe i don't know you know i'm not you know i don't know the history of the game from all who has played prior to me but i do know that you know I'm, i put a you know a good you know effort in there for the smaller undersized guys if you would call it that and um the guys who can just go out there and flat out just play and have a good time that's it.
1: so we'll get into your nfl career in a little bit but i always like Hearing people's origin stories, especially someone from Hartford, Connecticut, that yeah. grew up in Bloomfield, Connecticut, because yeah. everybody probably knows that at this point, there's this little thing called ESPN, which is in Bristol, Connecticut. Some, and Bloomfield somewhere is some, yeah. somewhere out there in the sticks. It's not too far away. So whether we all wanted to admit it or not, and I'm from Connecticut originally, I grew up in Fairfield yeah. County, to see someone like yourself... Uh, go on and have all this kind of success, it was kind of like, hey, Connecticut guy, which was was kind of cool. So when did you start thinking about playing football as the thing that was going to take you where you needed to be?
0: I think, Trey, it really started probably my senior year, junior year in high school. You know, I was a kid who played all different types of sports. Were in, but You were a goalie
1: in soccer for a while, Listen, right? Listen, man, I
0: was in goalie. I was in bowling leagues. I was in all types of basketball, baseball. I played them all, you know. And I think a lot of the other sports kind of started to fall off just a little bit. You know, I wasn't going to be six, eight, six, nine, six, ten, right? So, you know, it's hard to be a six-one power forward in the, in the NBA, right? So I knew that wasn't going to happen. Plus, I didn't have a jump shot. You know, I was kind of like a Dennis Rodman <laughs> or whatever, or Charles Oakley in a way. Like, I was a great defensive player, but don't ask me to freaking shoot a free throw or shoot a jump shot. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, I know that kind of failed by the wayside. And then baseball, I was a great baseball player, I think, in high school, but my arm gave out. You know, I was a product of your dad being the head coach, I think, and I always kind of give him crap when I see him. I said, man, I there's no reason why I should have been a pitcher. I was a, I had the strongest arm on the team. But, you know, when you put you on the mound and you're throwing 40, 50 times a game, by the time, you know, it came to a tryout for uh, MLB, I had nothing. I was bouncing the ball to third base. I was bouncing the ball into the home plate, you know, when I was throwing the ball. So that kind of fell by the wayside. So football kind of just, you know, the stars aligned.
1: But there was something about basketball that you took to the NFL and Syracuse that became almost your signature move.
0: Oh, absolutely. I was a huge, huge fan of n one mixtapes. You know, I was, yeah. like I said, I was a big basketball guy and and one mixtapes in the nineties. It was everything. Okay. So I wanted to kind of take and find a way to take basketball, the basketball court to the football field. All right. So I was in the practice field one day. I was going out and doing different moves and making, you know, just trying to figure out a way to make a guy completely miss. And it kind of dawned on me. I said, you know what? Let me let me see if I can spin man. let me see if I can just make this guy completely whiff." And I started doing that in high school in practice. And it all kind of derived from that. And one mixtape embarrass a guy make the guy fall over and break his ankles you know and that was kind of how it you know started for me training
1: that that's actually very cool and by the way there's a there's an exceptional documentary out now about and one mixtapes and all the shit that went sideways there oh, yeah. which is oh, kind yeah. of fascinating as well but uh so so that was sort of that became your signature move and how did you end up at Syracuse
0: Well, Syracuse was a school where, you know, it wasn't too far away where I can, you know, I'm I'm away, you know, but I can get home when I need to. It's about three and a half hours to four hours from Connecticut. You know, and when they recruited me, you know, when I went to that locker room, and I felt the energy of, of what they were giving me. It was so so similar to how it was in high school, where you know you're out there trying to you know kill guys. You know you're you're, you're damn near banging your head on the locker, like ah oh, let's go get them. You know, and I was used to that energy. You know, I took some other recruiting visits to some other schools, and it was kind of like I felt like I was in a library. You know, <laughs> I, I felt like somebody you know somebody died or something like that. And no everybody was ready. You know, didn't want to say a word. and was afraid to say anything. You know, so Syracuse, it had me juiced up, man. When I when I came on that visit, and I was done. I had to go there.
1: So, how when you left high school to go to Syracuse, you were six one. How much did you weigh?
0: Um, probably two twenty, maybe two twenty five. So, so you
1: were legitimately, I,
0: I, yeah, 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 around there. Yeah.
1: And and how quickly did they try and put some weight on you? And and because then it becomes this dynamic, right? Because you know, I, I think it's you clocked a four four forty, and uh, at one point, so you're like, hey, we need to build you up, but we don't want to yeah. build you up too much because then we're going to take away your natural gift.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it was it was kind of kind of crazy. You know, Trey, I don't know if you know this story, but my junior year, you know, I had a lacerated spleen. I oh, played God. a game. I had to play the game versus Michael Vick. OK, when he was at Virginia Tech yeah. and I tackled him at one point, you know, I had four and a half sacks. When By the way, first
1: college. of all, you caught him. So let's let's not bury the lead. You <laughs> got him four times, which was not easy to do.
0: Hey, it wasn't his fault. And this is, that, that offensive tackle still might be in his stance right now. All right. It was yeah. terrible. I'm mean, not saying <laughs> it was terrible, but it was just pretty bad. And the noise in the carrier dome gave me a little yeah. advantage. Um, so I ended up getting him four and a half time, sacks that game and I ended up rupturing my spleen. Okay, so I ended up my junior year ended up being short, shortened. All right, so I ended up losing a bunch of weight. All right, so I kind of built myself up to, to like two thirty, and then all of a sudden I, I lost all that weight and went down to two fifteen at some point in my junior in, in my junior year. Okay, I had to sit down. They, they took me off for the rest of the year, so I had to build myself back up. And by the time I retired, we I mean, retired, but you know, at the end of my senior year, by the time of draft, I ended up being 268, all right? Now, eating, I'm talking about eating five, six meals a day, you know, building up my mass and working with, you know, some great trainers. William Hicks, who's a the guy, a strength coach I was at Syracuse for years, worked with him, you know, and my speed never left. me. I just kept eating. I literally was just like eating as much as I possibly can, and, you know, my agent who died, Gary Richard, was like, hey, man, you got to get to yeah. 260, man. You got to get to 260. So I ended up being 268 and running a 4-4. Uh,
1: that's incredible that you could put on that much. Like, uh, Schlereth uh, talks about that all the time because, he, you know, he was yeah. uh, an offensive lineman. He used to, like, he'd wake up, eat. He'd, he'd sa- he said he'd set an alarm sometimes to wake up at 3 o'clock <laughs> in the morning, like, drink a power shake and have a sandwich And do that like it takes a commitment to put on that that amount of weight.
0: No, absolutely. It was that it was definitely a progression for me. I think by 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 the end of my senior year, my last game, I was probably about 240. Okay, and then I had to put another 20, 25 pounds on here. You know, to get to 265, 268 by March or April or whenever you, you weigh in for, you know, all of the senior bowl stuff and all of that. So, yeah. you know, it was definitely a process. But, yeah, there was a lot of pancakes, a lot of like, you know, eating five, six times a day for sure.
1: Carb it up, baby. Uh So, you know, I always like to hear about people's draft process because so yeah. many stories are fantastic. Like you get drafted by a team that you've never been in contact with or you've never heard from. What was the run-up to the draft like for you? And when or if did you know or think that the Colts were going to take you?
0: Well, my my process um, was kind of a tougher process. Um, For me, you know, I didn't know where I was going to be drafted, right? It was multiple – it could have been anywhere from basically the 11th pick to somewhere in the second round, supposedly. You know, um, I just came off a high ankle sprain. I had a high ankle sprain – um, in the senior Bowl, I sprained my ankle pretty bad. So I had to figure out a way to rehab from that, be able to have a good pro day. All right. And then once I got through all of that, it was kind of like, all right, well, look, you know, I have no idea where I want to go. You know, I wasn't projected in the top 10, you know, and, you know, I'm an undersized guy like we talked about earlier. So, you know, guys like me don't really get drafted as high. You know, we got Mel Kuyper saying this guy's a tweener. He he should be available in the second round. You know, and, you know, it's all this stuff. So you know, I don't know. Uh, it was it was it was kind of a big question mark for me. Um, but by the time that day came, Trey, it was just you know, I I was actually floored like everyone else.
1: So when after the Colts drafted you, did you think I might be in the perfect position here? <laughs>
0: You know what? I I had no, I, I had no clue what I was getting myself into. I knew nothing about the Indianapolis Colts. I was a Giants fan growing up. All I knew was, hey, Coach Dungy's my coach, and I know he's legendary. I didn't know anything else about the team really, other than the fact that you know, maybe they drafted Peyton Manning on offense, you know. But us defensive players, I'll be honest with you, the mentality we had—I I didn't care about the all. I cared about the defense and who we had. There, but I didn't know much about the team.
1: So, how quickly did you sort of assimilate and realize, hey, we might have a lot of really talented players on this squad? Because you know, it was just a couple of years later, you were in the AFC Championship game, or one year later, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't take me long. You know, it, it, it's just being, you know, there around Coach Dungey and and you know Ron Meeks, our defensive coordinator at the time, John Turlink, who's a legendary – he's something else, you know. know, That's
1: a whole another episode on John Teerling. That guy, like John Tierling, is – yeah.
0: JT, man, God rest his soul, man. He was such a great, great defensive line coach, man. And uh, he kind of taught me the way, the way how to perform. You know, Chad Bratsky, you know, former Giant, was there as well. So he kind of taught me the ropes on how to be a pro. You know, so I was surrounded by all these pros and and these guys with so much experience. And I just soaked it all in. You know, I didn't know much. I was just a fast guy. I run around the corner as fast as I possibly could. You know, but they taught me how to play the game in in the right way.
1: Well, you you certainly, I mean, it, it, it went pretty quickly for you. I mean, your first year, 13 sacks. Uh, the next year, when you go to the AFC Championship game, 11 sacks. The year after that, 16 sacks. But you were part of that Colts team that had to go through the process of they can't beat that team. How frustrating was that for you guys? Because everyone everyone's would say this about the Colts at that time. Great regular season team. A great indoor dome team. Get them outside in the postseason, they're going to lose.
0: Yeah, it, it was frustrating, Trey. It definitely was uh, for us. You know, we were a team, to be quite honest with you, we were built for leads defensively, for sure. Um, yeah. Offensively, we were built for speed, speed. We were all about speed. We had Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne. You know, we had a lot of speed guys on defense. We had me, Robert Mathis, Bob Sanders. We had a bunch of guys, Gary Brackett, that could really run. So, you know, for us an advantage would be playing on surfaces that were in good shape. Now, unfortunately for us, sometimes, you know, when you, you know, I don't know if it's legal now, but all of it, you know, you go to you know Pittsburgh or you go to New England, let's just call it. And I know it didn't rain the night before, but I go to the, <laughs> <laughs> I, go, I go and run on the field and I'm stepping in puddles. I'm thinking to myself, now, I know it did. I checked the weather report. It yeah. didn't rain. Now, why and how is this out possible? You know, it's just part of the game, I guess, you know, and, and I think they took all that stuff out now. And I don't yeah. think you can do all that stuff now. But there were certain, you know, eh, things that they would do. Within, know, the margins, the within the within margins. Within the margins. Within the margins, in the gray area. where no, You know, yeah, yeah. is it legal? Is it not? Well, it's not in the rule book. Hey, let's do what yeah. we have to do. Um you know, I think that had a, a lot to do with a lot of, you know, advantages for certain particular teams. But in the end, the end of the day, Trey, you got to line up and play. And yeah. we played great in the regular season and the postseason. We had our struggles. You know, I remember losing 41 0, I think I still remember. To the Jets. Still, still ringing in my head to this day J E T S Jets, Jets, Jets. The whole entire, like, third and fourth quarter of that playoff game um, our first year. But, you know, that's what the playoff was about. And we had to learn that um, and to fight through adversity.
1: Well, speaking of fighting through adversity, uh, you know, you you, you lose to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game in the 2003 postseason. Then in that crazy freak... Okay, I was at that game at Foxborough in the divisional game it didn't snow anywhere else. Like that snow squall was literally at Foxboro. We, we I took my son to the game. We left in like midway through the, the, the fourth quarter because we, we, the writing was on the wall. And I'm like, we drove out of the parking lot. There wasn't a snowflake anywhere else. It literally like just stayed over the stadium and snowed the entire damn game.
0: Hey, man. That's the crazy stuff I'm talking about, man. It's just it just you don't it doesn't make any sense. You don't understand why, why us where did this snow come? did bill and and Tom do like rain or snow chance before the game to get the snow going? like I don't even understand some of the stuff that's happened to me. You know, in the Colts versus the Patriots, or whatever. You know, Pittsburgh when we lose in two thousand five, but right? I still can't get over that that game, how we lost that game. It, well, there is so ma- one, yeah. there's so many games and so many things that happened in our in my career, um, but the Patriots was one big one that we had to get over for sure.
1: So you mentioned the two thousand five season, and and that might have been the best Colts team that you ever played on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for those that don't remember, I think you guys got off to what. Thirteen or zero start, fourteen or zero start. It was 13-0, one, one 14-0, of those
0: something like that.
1: Yeah, 13-0. yeah. And, and then a, an unspeakable tragedy happened. Tony, one of Tony Dungy's sons passed away, um, and I remember thinking, you know, this team had been clicking on all cylinders, and no one will say it afterwards, but that had to be such a shock to the system that it can't help but affect how you play.
0: Yeah, I think it had some effect on it. Um, you know, it's hard to kind of identify exactly what it affected. But, you know, we're all a family. We're all a family. And when one hurts, we all hurt. And especially when you have your head coach. And, yeah. you know, when his son died, he was the son was running around the field with us, you know, on many occasions. So we were close to him as well. So, you know, when he passed away, you know, and Tony wasn't there and, and we had to, you know, just, it, it just hurt us all, man. And I don't, I'm not saying that it was, you know, the defining fact of why we ended up, you know, losing and falling in, you know, those last few games there. Um, and then definitely in the first round by, uh, but, you know, I think looking back on it, you know, that definitely hurt, hurt us maybe emotionally, something deep within our subconscious or something like that. And kind of just like, you know, we wanted to do it maybe too much for him. You know, we wanted to win so bad. You know, I don't know, you know, if, if how much of a role it played, but I think it had something to do with something. Now, can't blame that for why we lost last game or anything like that in the playoffs. Um, but it was something that, um, you know, it was one of those moments where, you know, wish never happened. And you just were hurt and, and felt bad for the coach and a guy who was running, running the squad.
1: And, and then that that led to the first round bio you talked about. And then one of the wildest games I can ever remember, that playoff game against the Steelers. Like, it was so disjointed from the entire game. It, it never felt like you guys got into a rhythm. And for those that don't remember, at the very end of the game, the Steelers, like seven minutes left, I think, in the fourth quarter. Steelers had the lead. They're at the goal line, ready to score what would pretty much be a clinching touchdown at that point. And put the game away. And then Jerome Bettis, who never fumbles, fumbles. And then the cornerback, whose name escapes me right now, picks it up and starts running with it. Who was it? Nick Harper. Nick Harper. Yes, Nick Harper. Nick Harper picks up. And Ben Roethlisberger, of all people, (laughs) makes the tackle. And look, I'm not making light of anything here, but I do remember there was a story that week where Nick's – got stabbed in the leg by his wife in the in the thigh. And I'm like, I bet if he wasn't stabbed in the leg, he might have been able to get away from that tackle and maybe score a touchdown.
0: I, that's like like I said, so many things happened, you know, in my process of, of this my NFL career. And this is another crazy one. I mean, Jerome Bettis never fumbles. Never. On the goal line. Nick yeah. Harper picks up the ball. Of all people – He's one of the fastest guys and athletic guys we have on our team. And it just happened that he had some type of domestic situation prior to the game, like the night before or two nights before. So now he's running banged up and then he gets tackled. By Ben Roethlisberger, the slowest quarterback who has no <laughs> mobility in the league, and he's like, "Yo!" And then Ben just—I don't even know how Ben did it. It was just kind of like he—he he fell backwards and just put his arm up, and then yeah. and then like Nick like tripped on his like index finger, and it was right. just—I'm like, <laughs> thinking myself—is how is this even possible? But somehow we get all the way back down there, and yeah. what happens? We miss the kick. Interject.
1: Mike, by the way, at at, at that point, yeah, yeah, he was at that point the most accurate kicker in NFL history. Yeah, and when I tell people, if you want to go back and look at it, he didn't miss the kick, he almost missed the stadium. Like, it's like that was in (laughs) that was the RCA dome, and it almost left the building, it was so far left.
0: Listen. It was nowhere close. It wasn't even. I don't even think it made past the goal line. It was one of those yeah. the worst shanks I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, even in high school, I would just figure like at least get it in the air. It was kind of those little yeah. like low line drive duck hooks. Like if you're
1: it was a duck hook off the tee. That's exactly right. It was like this
0: duck hook that you're just like you're throwing your club. Like I can't even believe I did that. It was one of those types of kicks. I couldn't believe it. He was a, a Pro Bowl kicker.
1: At that point, he was the most accurate kicker in NFL history. And again, I I was like, really? Okay. Why why don't we take our first break here? Because all of that set the stage for what happened the very next year. And it made everything else that happened before it not that big of a deal. We'll be back with Dwight Freedy on this episode of Half Forgotten History right after this. Hope you're enjoying our conversation with Dwight Freeney. Time now for the Mercedes-Benz trivia question about Dwight's career. Uh, His longtime pass rush partner in Indianapolis, Robert Mathis, finished his NFL career with 123 sacks. How many career sacks did Dwight Freeney have, though? We'll give you the answer right after the break. You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz sprinter, and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine and thousands of ways to customize, a Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, back with Dwight Freeney on this episode of Half Forgotten History. We just went through the heartbreak of the first few years in the playoffs where you couldn't beat the Patriots in that crazy game against the Steelers. And it all sets up for what was really uh, a remarkable year in in 2006 in a lot of ways. Um, you guys got off to your normal start and everything was going well, but then there was that game in Jacksonville late in the season where the only thing that stopped Fred Taylor and Maurice Jones-Drew were the goalposts. Like the goal I think posts. you guys got gashed for what 370 on the ground. The that had to be, so, zone, yeah, exact. That had to be so demoralizing, right, as a defensive player.
0: It was terrible. It it was terrible um we couldn't stop anybody um and in that particular game you know taylor's still running right now you know (laughs) he's still he's still running you know it's it it was terrible man um and we just had no answers and they didn't care they didn't care it was just it was just Straight, like you know what, we're going to get you back for all the times you guys killed us, and we're going to, and, and that's how the, how it felt. Um, yeah. so yeah, going into the playoffs, and our defense giving up so many yards rushing, and you know, it didn't even make any sense. But we knew what we were capable of doing. We just, yeah. you know, had a bad game. I guess.
1: Well, it's interesting because I remember Tony after that game, Tony Dungy saying, "Hey." we can fix this and uh, we're all, you know, know, okay, whatever. (laughs) We'll fix it for the postseason. But he said it was really more about spacing and alignment and and we we can adjust those things. And then in that playoff run, you had a home game against the Kansas city chiefs with Larry Johnson. Then you go on the road to Baltimore with Jamal Lewis and then the AFC championship game, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, when they had Lawrence Maroney. So to get where you guys needed to be, and where you eventually went, the Super Bowl, you had to run through a gauntlet of really tough running games and you shut them all down.
0: Yeah, and that was the thing with us. You know, if it was it was one of those years where if it was fourth and one and we had to stop somebody, we're going to stop you. OK, now, if it was second and nine and we're thinking it's a pass and then you run the ball. Well, guess what? You might get 11 yards running the ball. You know, it was right. one of those it was one of those those things. But we always knew as a defense we can stop anybody from running the ball once we commit to it. Okay. Yeah. And so we kind of fixed those issues that we had. All right. I think the Chiefs were leading the league as far as rushing, yeah. going into it. We were the worst against the run. Everyone else had us losing that game, but we knew defensively, like, look, if we're gonna do what we do like we do in fourth and one or third and one. All right. Commit fully to the run and we're going to stop no matter who it is, because we knew what we had and how to fix it. And we have one of the best coaches that's ever coached the game, teaching us and telling us, hey, you guys are completely fine. Don't panic. We just have to do the things that we need to do, which means everyone has to be accountable and doing their particular job. All right. And we knew we had to stop the run. Yeah, that was it. And that was our, our, our it wasn't it wasn't like a new scheme. We didn't put anything else new. We just yeah. said to ourselves, look, we know we can do it. This is all self-inflicted. It really had nothing to do with who we were playing. It's about us. And just do yeah. what we do better than they do what they do. And that's yeah. was the formula.
1: And it worked for those games against Kansas City, and it worked for the game in the divisional round against Baltimore. And then because of a, a, a litany of things, the Chargers losing as the number one seed – Uh, And and you guys were the three seed. So you ended up hosting the AFC championship game and who comes into town with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. And if the game against the Steelers the previous year was wild and crazy in an awful way, this game was ridiculous (laughs) in a very good way for the Indianapolis Colts. You know, Peyton throws that pick six to Asante Samuel Sr., not the one that's playing now, uh, right before the half. And it's boom, you're down 21 to three in, in 18 points with like, you know, Three minutes to go before the half. You guys had to be thinking, "Here we go again." Like, and then I, t- I remember telling my son, who was a he was a big Colts fan at the time, I said, "If they just get a field goal before the half, if they can get a field goal before the half. That's good because they get the ball to start the second half." And lo and behold, you do kick a field goal. So you go down not twenty-one to three. You go into the half twenty-one to six. And I think Tony Dungy said something in the locker room like, "Guys, if we score first in this first drive, it's a, it's a brand new ball game, which is just a one-score game."
0: Yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, with the history of our teams and all of the adversity that we faced, you know, versus the Patriots, there was probably some doubt in some guys' mind where they were feeling like, oh, God, no, not again. We're here again. Uh, but I would say, if anything, it fired us up more. You know, it was kind of like one of those things where you, you're like this starving dog and, you you know, you're, you're like... You know, you're wounded. And that's when, when you're wounded, that's when you're most dangerous. You know, it wasn't kind of like we're just going through the game and, hey, we're high-fiving it, we're, we're, we're killing these guys, and then they come back and beat us. It was more like, all right, now we're this wounded dog in the corner starving, all right? We got to figure out a way to make this thing happen. And that's what we ended up doing is is going out. And like Coach dungie said, you know, he pretty much just said it exactly how you said it. All we got to do is, hey, we're going to get the ball back. We're going to go back and score. It'll be a one-score game, and then anything is possible. And that's exactly what happened. And, and, and I think Tony gave us that, you know, and look, you know, and that's how Tony hit, you know, like yeah. never too high, never too low. Look, guys, we got this. Do what we need to do, and all will take care of itself.
1: And then, of course, that game I'll always remember because three fat guy touchdowns or three fat guy scores. Jeff Saturday falls on a fumble, he scores a touchdown. Logan Mankins falls on a fumble, scores a touchdown for the Patriots. And then Klecko, I think, caught a yeah. two point conversion from Peyton Manning on that first touchdown drive uh, of the second half to make it a twenty one to fourteen game.
0: It's crazy. Like the average weight of a touchdown was probably like three hundred pounds. Never in the history of the game had it ever been so high. You know, it was—it's it, kind of crazy, but you know, we were creative, and the ball kind of bounced our way finally versus the Patriots that
1: game. Well, speaking of bouncing your way, late in that game, Reggie Wayne has a catch, and it's in his hands, and for whatever oh reason, God. he just bats it up in the air, and that ball is in the air for like for two hour. seconds. It felt for like, an yeah, <laughs> and, and Ford just came right back down to him, uh, and, and, and and that led to the game-winning score. Uh, with Joseph Adai that sent you guys on your way. And then after all of that, you know, yep. you finally get to the Super Bowl, and it is, to this day, still the worst weather Super Bowl <laughs> of all time. It rained from start to finish. And what did the Colts do? They go out there in bad weather, play yep. great defense, yep. run the rock, yep. stop the run, and finally get your Lombardi Trophy.
0: It was like I said. It's just amazing some of these, you know, these coincidences or, or these things that have happened, you know, in my journey. And the Super Bowl is definitely one of them. I would say, you know, what helped us, believe it or not, in the Super Bowl was winning against the Patriots in the AFC Championship. We felt like that was our Super Bowl victory yeah. almost in that AFC Championship game. So it didn't matter who we were playing. We didn't. We didn't care, Trey, who we were playing. But in, in the Super Bowl, we knew if we beat the Pats, whoever's next is going to get it. And that's yeah. what it was. And, of course, monsoon. The yeah. field was terrible. It was the only Super Bowl, I think, in history that's ever rained the yeah. way that it rained. You know, it was terrible, right? It, it, all yeah. the stars aligned for Chicago, you know. It was kind of like they're a running team. or are a passing, speedy team. So, you know, first kickoff. You have Devin Hester running it back for a touchdown. See you. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I, I think that, you know, that momentum from, you know, the week or two weeks prior to, you know, our mentality was, look, man, it don't matter. This is our year. We're going to make this thing happen. And no matter what circumstances, situation, field, whatever, we got to get it done.
1: So considering that you had to, you, you, you fell behind, you're playing on yeah. uh, on grass, you're playing in terrible weather, you ran the rock with proficiency, you stopped the run. When it was all over and you looked at all the check marks that people had said, well, "The Colts can't do this, they can't do this, and they can't do that. With all of that being lined up against you and you overcame all that, how much sweeter did it make finally holding that trophy?
0: No, I mean, it made it amazing. You know, we we all of our doubters, all the guys out there, well, the Colts are a great regular season team, but they'll never win the big one. Peyton can never win the big one. You know, our defense can't stop anybody. You know, uh, they're great against the pass, terrible against the run. And, you know, and it showed, you know, statistically it did show it. So I understand where it was coming from, but we also knew what we were capable of. So it made it a lot sweeter when you have all of those doubters doubting you, you know, and that's kind of the the story of my life, really. It was, you know, no one thought that you would be able to make a guy from Bloomfield, Connecticut. I mean, there's no pro, real pros from that area, you know, there's not a lot of guys that come from there, you know. And then you go to Syracuse, oh, they're going to move you to middle linebacker, outside linebacker, too undersized. And then you get to the pros, it was like, oh, well, this guy's going to play a couple of years. And then, well, he's a tweener. And he, you know, and that was kind of my story. So to have that type of story happen to us as a team, as well as an individual personally, it made it sweeter for me.
1: It certainly did. And then, you know, the Patriots went on the undefeated season in 2007. You guys had a really interesting year in 2008 because of Peyton's knee. You started three and four. You win your last nine games. Uh, yep. You bowed to the Chargers in a playoffs where I, I think a punter might have won the game. Uh, I've never seen yeah. a punter pin a team more than my <laughs> Mike Cyphers did for the Chargers that he did you guys in that contest. And then we get back to the Super Bowl a few years later. But before we get there, I want to get to the AFC Championship game against the Jets because the game was over. It's what two minutes left in the game, two and a half, three oh, minutes left. No. It it it's decided, and oh, on a on us did you get him? I, I did you sack him or did you just get Jerry, him?
0: It was terrible. Yeah. This is this is terrible. I, I when I say terrible, I, I I still think about this to this day and just shake my head. Look, we have them down two scores. Yeah. Okay. And. You know, no one's gonna. You're not actually thinking you're gonna get out there and get hurt, right? We're just trying to shut the door, right? right? This is this is the year, if I my memory serves me correct, where they started putting these rules in, of like, you know, strike zone with the with the quarterback, kind of like you can't hit him here, you can't hit him there. Yeah, that all plays a factor into what's going to happen. So I'm running around the corner, and I'm. Fly, I, I just fly by my offensive tackle. And here he is, you know, Sanchez, I'm about to completely knock him out or something.
1: Whatever. Decleat him.
0: Yeah. Decleat him, whatever. And something goes through my mind, like, you know what? Don't hit him too high. Don't don't hit him this. Don't hit him that. So what I ended up doing was I said, you know what? Instead of just really hit, I uh, try to avoid him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I jump over him to avoid him. And somehow he gets hit by someone else and the quarterback rolls on the back of my ankle and gives me like a high ankle sprain. And it was like a third degree high ankle sprain where all my ligaments were completely severed. I got hurt by avoiding a quarterback, which I never avoid. Yeah. the quarterback hurt me. It was the, <laughs> I mean, if my hate, if my hate wasn't there for the quarterback at that point, my hate for a quarterback <laughs> has exploded, has grown extra. I mean, just out of this world, trying to avoid a guy, I get hit, I get hurt by the the guy that I love to hit. It was just terrible yeah. for me. And, and right before the Super Bowl, yeah. right before the Super Bowl, it was terrible, Trey.
1: I remember that was the story going in. Like, how is he? Like the the thought process for all of us, sort of covering that game that year, was like, I think Dwight will play, but then you have the elongated halftime of Super Bowl,
0: oh, where
1: you have the show, and they got to get the stage on and the stage off, and and we said that in in the run up to that game, we were like, I think he's going to be okay in the first half. He'll get out there and do what he can, but once you have to shut it down for twenty or thirty minutes. And that just kills the ability of that ankle to keep on keep moving at the level that you had tried to play in the first half with.
0: It was terrible, Trey. It was exactly how you describe it. It was exactly what happened. I was the first – I mean, first of all, I was supposed to be out four weeks. It was right. like a four- to six-week injury, okay? High ankle sprain, third degree, no ligament. I don't even know how I got myself to be able to play. There's adrenaline, whatever. Somehow right. I got myself – ready to go. And I was playing, playing good the first half. You know, had a sack. The guys they couldn't block me. Then halftime came. Yeah. And I was like, like, "Oh, great. let me get on the bike. I'm riding the bike. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm all oh, everything's all right. I'm staying warm." But you just couldn't stay you couldn't stay warm enough yeah. for that that area to stay, you know, uh loose. fluid, mm-hmm. loose, where the muscles don't tighten up. And that's what happened. The muscles started to tighten up. I went back out there and it was so painful. And it was just like I was limping and, and just gimping around the field, trying to figure out a way. And then you got you got them, you know, uh Drew Brees throwing the ball in one point one seconds. It's like I getting rid of the ball. It was, <laughs> it was just one of those games where I was like, man, I don't know. I, I can't do anymore. And it just went all downhill.
1: Well, you know, everyone talks about the onside kick to start the second half, which was brilliant. Yeah. And they talked about Tracy Porter's pick six, which was great. One even play I remember. Even though they seemed like more. they had
0: seen Trey, even though they had about twenty guys in the field when they recovered, <laughs> recovered the onside kick, I've we'll never seen it. anything like that in my life. I was we'll like, the okay, I'm, yeah, 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 get we'll the video. You should have yeah. seen it. Yeah. It was like, okay, you got eleven guys, and all of a sudden, I see guys from their side like coming out on the field, trying to pull people off the pile. I'm like, what yeah. is going on? And we're outnumbered right now. Right? Yeah. And, I, and it was crazy. Is our guy had the ball in the end, and he's like, yeah, hey, we got the ball, and they still gave it to him. I still haven't yeah. figured that out.
1: <laughs> well, the other play I'll always remember from that game, it was a third and four in the first half. Uh, you guys were up 10-3, and you guys have pretty much done whatever you wanted. And Peyton hits Pierre Garçon, like, right in the hands. And if, if he catches the ball, I think he's still running. Like, if, if, if he doesn't score, you guys get a field goal, and you guys go up 10 points. And that changed the, that would change the dynamic of that game forever, right? Like that drop, I was like, hmm, "Let's remember that play." Yeah,
0: I mean, and that's and that's what I was telling you, man. Sometimes these stars just align differently, you know. Unfortunately, in these situations, and you can kind of point for things, you know. Like I said, the two thousand six or two thousand five Pittsburgh game. These things, Pierre drop. Pierre never drops the ball. Pierre drops the ball. All of a sudden, is like. Uh, okay, what's going to happen now? And all of a sudden, it just does that.
1: Yeah, and that was sort of the peak of that Colts team. So why don't we take our second break here, and we come back, we'll talk about the latter half of Dwight Freeney's career and another kind of famous Super Bowl he played in and what he's up to now. Stay with us. Half Forgotten History coming right back. So, you want to place a bet this Sunday on the NFL? Well, let's get you caught up with everything you need to know with Trey's Trends, presented by Caesar Sportsbook. We witnessed the biggest upset of the year in week seven when the completely depleted Panthers somehow took down Tom Brady and the Buccaneers 21 3, a 13 point underdog coming through with a win. It was the first straight up victory for a double digit dog this season. And to begin this week, there are three games that qualify as double digit dogs. The Cowboys are giving 10 as they take on the Bears. The undefeated Eagles giving 11 as they take on the Steelers. And the Bills are laying 10 and a half as they take on Green Bay Sunday night. And if that line holds, it'll be the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career he will be a double-digit underdog and buffalo is not a welcome place to go if you're a big-time underdog why do i say that because they just don't lose those games the bills haven't lost a home game as a 10-point favorite or more since week 14 wait for it of the 1992 season when they were somehow upset by the jets since then as a home favorite giving 10 or more points They're 18-0 straight up and and 12-4-2 against the spread in those home games, including two wins this year over the Titans and the Steelers by 34 and 35 points respectively. So there you have it. Ready to place your bets? It's very simple. All you got to do is download the Caesar Sportsbook app today. Must be 21 or over, 19 or over. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, and Utah, and other states where we're Know when does it stop before you start. Gambling problems? Well, in Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. For Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 800 next step. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas. Affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino. Call 1 800 522 4700. Indiana, call 1 800 9 with it. Iowa, call 1 800 Bets Off. Louisiana, call 1 877 770 STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bowser City, and Harris, Orleans. Michigan, call 1 800 270 7117. In New York, call 877 8 Hope NY or text Hope NY. Ontario, visit connectsontario.ca or call 1 866 531 2600 or text connect to 247 247. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1 800 889 9789. Time now for the answer to the Mercedes-Benz trivia question about Dwight Freeney's career. We told you his longtime pass rush teammate in Indy, Robert Mathis, finished with 123 career sacks. We wanted to know how many Dwight Freeney finished with. Just two and a half sacks more, 125 and a half. And he only surpassed his teammate in that final season, not with the Colts, but when he was playing for the Seattle Seahawks. And now back to more of the Half Forgotten History episode with Dwight Freeney. All right, back with Dwight Freeney now in Half Forgotten History. So after your Colts days are over, you bounce around a little bit, you go to the Chargers for a couple of years, you go to Arizona, and then of all places in 2016, you end up in Atlanta. And for those that might have forgotten, that was Super Bowl 51 between the Atlanta Falcons and the New England Patriots. And at one point it was 20. You had a sack in that game. You had a sack in that game. It's 28-3. It's 28 to 3 at what point because having lived through the nightmares in Indianapolis against this dude, did you ever say, "I think we got it?"
0: Listen, it was you know, I think I've said this a few times now, but this might be the worst like I said, the things that has happened in my career, it just doesn't even make any sense to me. This happens to be the one probably out of all of them that bothers me the most, okay? We, when I say we dominated that game, yeah. you watched it. We really? knew it. It was an absolute shellacking for three and a half quarters of that game. <laughs> and I'm telling you, when I'm telling you just, destroy now well, defensively for sure, um, but offensively, look, they could not... They could not move the ball in us. We were switching up our coverages. We were finding ways to rush the quarterback different types of ways that they weren't prepared for. Um, And then it all started to change. And and I'll tell you when it started to change. It was, I think it was sometime in that fourth quarter where, you know, Tom and Bill, they started doing some real interesting stuff where they were, running these deep routes. This is what happened defensively, at least. They were running all these elaborate deep routes, maxing up protection. So now we're rushing with four guys and they're protecting with six to seven guys, right? <clears throat> giving Tom all type of time to throw the ball. <clears throat> and also, they were after these long down the field runs, Trey, they were subbing out their starters, putting fresh guys back in and running the same thing they knew we were playing man-to-man coverage, okay? So now we have the same defensive back playing against, you know, the starter. Then he'll play against the backup. And then the starter would come back out on third on third down. So now our guys are completely gassed, playing man-to-man this entire game, which has dominated the whole game. They were crying to play some zone. We wouldn't change it up because we've been so successful at playing man-to-man. So now all of a sudden it's like, you know, defensively, like we're out there like 90 plays, right? Like damn there, a hundred plays. And and we're, we are a gassed, Um, but B what we're looking for from the offense, was just like, look, milk the clock. Yeah. Run the ball,
1: run the ball, run
0: the ball. And, and I was sitting on the sideline, like there is no way we lose this game. It would have to be the perfect storm for us to lose the game. And it, Absolutely was Matt Ryan fumbles the ball on a sack fumble. They get the yeah. ball on the fifty-yard line. They drive down the field. A miracle catches on the, on the helmet like balls. It was just like crazy. Get the two get two two-point conversions. And next thing you know, it's like it's a game again. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, we might you know, be in trouble here. And we get all the way back down the field. Finally, Julio Jones comes up with this great catch.
1: Unbelievable catch. Like Und- that catch is not talked about enough. Sure. I mean, like sure. Edelman's catch, we had him on the pod. Right. Like it was great effort, great determination, fantastic. Julio's catch on the sidelines, go back and like I don't know how Ryan got it to him, and I have no, no idea. idea how he got two feet down Listen, and made that catch.
0: It was the one of the best catches I've seen in pressure moments, you know, in my in my career. Okay. We get that ball. I think we're like, you know, 27 yard line, around there, 30 yard. Field goal range. We have the best kicker in the National Football League that year. He is a Pro Bowl kicker. Okay. This is not a guy who shanks the ball. We're playing inside. There's no weather. There's nothing. So, in my mind at this point, I'm thinking, I'm saying to myself, that's it. Game, set, match. Yeah. We run the ball three times. We get it right in the middle. Kick the field goal. It's out of reach for them. Yeah. And obviously, that is not what happened.
1: Pass okay? attempt, holding penalty, sack, punt. Sack, punt. Yeah. Out of field goal range.
0: It It is the absolute – I'm not going to get over that. I, I don't think I'll ever get over that. And it should have been a victory. You know, it was a terrible feeling. Um, and, you know, then it just adds to the, you know, Tom Brady, he's the greatest in the world, you know, conversation and which hurt for me because I played against Tom so many years and he's a great guy. And You try to hate him, but you can't because he's just a great guy. <laughs> so it's like for me, it's like, oh, I hate Tom. I just can't, I can't wait to hit him. I, I just hate this guy. And then you meet him. You're like. Damn, I can't hate you. Dang so it, <laughs> Dang it, you're such a good guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, so not to be masochistic and sadistic here, but which one hurt more? That one or the uh, the second Super Bowl, Super Bowl 44, the way you lost to the Saints?
0: That one, for sure.
1: Wow. That one,
0: for sure. For me, for sure. Um, the second second one, I was banged up. I was hurt. I couldn't contribute. We weren't, you know, firing all, all cylinders. Um It's a different feeling, Trey, when you know you have this one won, and it's been taken away from you. You never get over that. That New Orleans game, I can't say that. We were fighting the entire game. It was a close game, and then we we were down trying to get back. This game, anybody could have won this. I mean, this game is one of those things where you just do what you're supposed to do. You play video games, you know. I just ran right. the ball three times, kick the field goal, game over. You understand is that even if you missed the field goal, you still ran the ball three times, and then the clock is down to who knows what, and they have to have a miracle to try to score another touchdown. You know, you know all of those things, so that was the worst for sure.
1: Well, after that, you you I think in 2017 you split time uh, with uh, mm-hmm. with Detroit and Seattle, and then you yep. you retired as a member of the Colts. Um, yep. What's the thing that you're proudest of in your career from from everything that we've talked about?
0: Um, you know what I think for me is, you know, I, I played the game the right way. You know, I played it hard. I played it like every play was my last, you know, and I left it all out there. I left it all out there and I didn't cheat the game. You know, sometimes you go out there and see, you know, guys just, you know, we call it loafing around, and just kind of like jogging around like it doesn't even matter. You know, for me, it wasn't that. It was, you know, this game has given me so much and I'm going to give as much as I can to the game. And I don't care. And I was a mentality of, look, if if I can play, I'm going to play. I'm not going to sit out. All right. And if I have one leg, I'm going to hop. I'm, and I'm going to hop to my <laughs> – You did for place. a half of <laughs> a Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And you're going to have to pull me out of the game. You're going to have to have three guys and three coaches and say, Freeney, you cannot play. You know what? You have to sit down. And that was, you know, um, I think a product of the fact that, you know, I love the game so much. And the fact that I wanted to do everything I could possibly can to help our team win. And uh, so I think for me, that was what I was most proud of.
1: Is there a guy out there today that's playing and I like, kind of reminds me of
0: me. You know, I see a little bit of every, every, you know, I see a little bit of, of me and a lot of players now. And it's, it's interesting. And I know one thing is that I left my mark on the game whenever I see a spin move, because the spin move, wasn't used prior to me the way that it was used, the way I used it. Um, You know, I'm sure guys used to spin once in a while, Trey. And, you know, when they get caught, they got to spin out of it and happen to make a play. They were actually taught, never turn your back to the quarterback. Right. That's how the game was taught. And then after I kind of just decided to do what I did, you see it all the time. You see Michael Parsons. I saw it the other day, Michael Parsons was playing, you know, a game – Forget who he was playing, uh, but he had a sweet, sweet spin move, and it was—it was literally the same way that yeah. I kind of did my spin. You know, it was a couple steps up. He chopped, he spun. It was kind of like, you know, and I knew Dan Quinn was over there. Dan Quinn is a defensive coordinator, but he's also a D-line coach. So maybe there's been a little bit of transfer. I see a little bit of Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett does a lot of the same moves that I do, spinning and dipping around the corner. So I think between those two guys, I see, you know, I know that I left my mark in the game. So when I can watch the game, I smile when I see those guys doing spin moves and things of that nature because it wasn't being taught and it wasn't being done.
1: Speaking of leaving your mark on the game, as we're taping this, uh, the announcement came out uh, in September that you're on the initial list for the Pro Football Hall of Fame in your first year of eligibility. What would that mean to you to, to hear your name called uh, uh, at some point?
0: I mean, it would mean everything to me. You know, it's, this is something that is, I'm not in control of. You know, it's one of those things, if you can control it, then, you know, you can feel whatever you want to feel about it. But for me, the feeling of, of achieving that isn't just a individual in achievement. It's, it's, it's a team achievement. It's, you know, it takes a tribe. It's pe- everyone got me to the point where I got to. And I'm talking about, you know, people who raised my parents who raised me, you know, the community that, w- that surrounded me, coaches throughout the years. So if that ever were to happen, you know, it's a celebration not just in my household, but many households, because we all were a part of it, and we were all part of this thing that you know no one would ever have thought that this kid from Bloomfield, Connecticut, would get to. You know, and if that happens, I would be floored and amazed, and and just I uh, just you know speechless to be quite honest, with you and thankful
1: well don't be speechless for too long because you have to say something uh, if you you (laughs) do get in so but listen from the bottom of my heart I hope it happens for you Uh, we always enjoyed watching you play and you know for a lot of us that grew up in Connecticut whenever we saw the highlights like that's our guy Dwight Green a really good catching up with you man Uh, listen I wish you all the best and uh, continued success in whatever you do and uh, hopefully we'll talk soon okay
0: appreciate it Trey. you take care of yourself man
1: so thanks once again to Dwight Freeney for joining us again on the list for a potential Hall of Fame gold jacket uh, this year. We'll see if it pans out, if his name is selected. Super Bowl week for enshrinement in Canton, Ohio. Our guest next week is already there. He's the inventor of the Lambeau Leap and was one of the first Packers to be there for the turnaround after disaster of the 80s. I'm talking about, of course, safety Leroy Butler. Our conversation with him is coming next week. we we'll see you then.